Amen. Please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 18, please. Yeah, I get these lights turned on over here, this, this side. Thank you. Appreciate that. Matthew chapter 18 this morning. I want to direct your attention down to verse 21. And we'll read down through the end of the chapter. I want to preach to you this morning on this subject, man's two greatest needs. Man's two greatest needs. And I want you to follow along with me. And beginning in verse 21, the Bible says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and his children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Again, I want to speak to you on the subject of man's two greatest needs. Let's pray, and then we'll begin. Lord, I pray today for your grace. Lord, I pray for your spirit to guide me as I speak today. Lord, I only want to exalt Christ. I only want to point to him. Lord, I only want to follow your word. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, uh, through your spirit, Father, that you would help us today, not only to understand your word, but, Lord, help us to, uh, to point to Jesus Christ here. And may you accomplish your will in every heart. And, Lord, I pray that you would uh, bring a peace to this auditorium, Father, that you would uh, begin to move and to work in every heart today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go back to verse 21. And I want you where we started here. And, and we find in verse 21, the Bible tells us, Then came Peter to him, that's Jesus, and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? 
And, and we need to understand why Peter asked this question here. And we find that in the context of Matthew 18, Jesus was just teaching his disciples on principles of dealing with offenses among brethren and how you handle offenses properly, especially in, uh, within a New Testament church setting. How should we go about handling offenses that are going to happen? Because the truth of the matter is offenses will come. Offenses will happen. We're all sinful people. We all sin with our tongue. We all sin with our heart. Our attitudes towards others sometimes cause us uh, uh, to, to be offensive. And the truth is offenses will come. So how do we deal with those offenses when they come? This is how Jesus, what Jesus is teaching prior to this. Well, that prompts Peter then in verse 21 to come to Jesus and say, how oft or how many times uh, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Now, the question that Peter's asking and the conclusion that he's drawing of seven times is kind of interesting. Uh, Peter probably thought himself to be pretty spiritual at this point. To say, well, how many times is someone to, you know, going to sin against me or offend me and, and I forgive him? Should I, should I do it seven whole times, Lord? And it's like, wow, Peter, you're, you're pretty spiritual here to come up with seven times. But the reason he came up with that is because the rabbis were teaching in those days that you should forgive somebody maybe three or four times. But if they offend again with the same thing after that, then they don't deserve forgiveness. And so Peter doubles that amount and he says, well, should I forgive him seven times, Lord? So he's probably feeling himself to be fairly spiritual at this point in time and and probably even feeling pretty special. But then Jesus gives an answer in the very next verse that I think blows Peter out of the water. He says in verse 22, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Peter was probably really shocked with Jesus's answer, feeling fairly spiritual, like I'm really gracious. Should I forgive seven times? That's pretty gracious of me, Lord. And Jesus says, no, not just seven times, Peter, but 70 times seven. That's 490 times. Now, my guess is that Peter's very next thought is, how in the world can I keep up with 490 offenses and keep track and keep a record of every one of those so that I forgive until 490 times, but that 491st one, nope, you reached your limit. Peter's probably thinking, how in the world could I ever keep track or keep up with that many offenses? And that goes right to Jesus' point that he was making. No, Peter, it's not 70 times, and it's not even keeping track. Forgiveness, true forgiveness, is unlimited forgiveness. Forgiveness knows no boundaries. That's the point that Jesus is making here. Because that's the kind of forgiveness that God has that comes from a heart of love that actually keeps no record, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Well, to illustrate this truth of what God's forgiveness is like and how we ought to 
handle our brothers and sisters in the Lord, that true forgiveness knows no boundaries, that real forgiveness is unlimited. It's the kind that God has to illustrate that truth. Jesus gives this parable that we find in verses 23 and following. Now, a parable, if you're not aware of it, a parable is a story. It's a story that illustrates a truth. So there's a central truth that Jesus is getting at, and he uses a parable or a story to help illustrate that truth, to, to cause it to sink in, to, to cause it you know, to, to come right to where we live so that we can understand it. And so Jesus proceeds to give this parable, and this parable that we're going to consider here this morning teaches us of man's two greatest needs. What are two, man's two greatest needs? Number one, man's greatest need is to receive forgiveness. But then secondly, man's second greatest need is to extend forgiveness. And these are the two principles that we're going to cover this morning in these verses. Consider, first of all, man's greatest need is to receive forgiveness. Notice verses 23 through verse 27. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants, and when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and his children, and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt." Now, I want you to notice here that this passage starts off with the fact that this king was taking account of his servants. And the Bible says that when he had begun to reckon, that word reckon is an accounting term, and it means to compute or it means to make up. And it basically gives us the idea that they were all accountable to this king. And the Bible tells us that there was one that was brought to him that owed him 10,000 talents. And I would say to you before we move on this morning, there is a day of reckoning that is coming with God. We're going to give an account of our life and the days that he has granted us to live on this earth and to breathe his air. Every day that we are accountable to God for, friend. All of the time that God grants you in this life, it is only by his grace, it's by his mercy, it's for a reason, and we are going to give an account of our life to the Lord every day that we breathe his air. There's a day of reckoning that's coming. But let me also say this to you this morning, friend. There's also a day of reckoning coming for breaking his law. Sin, the Bible says, is the transgression of his law, the breaking of God's law. And there is a day of reckoning that is coming for breaking God's law for every man. And we can be reconciled to God and we can deal with the breaking of God's law through, we'll get to this in just a little while, through the, the, the means that God has provided or in eternity we'll, we'll, we'll uh, uh, settle accounts with God for the, the times that we've broken his law. But I want you to notice this because we need to understand what is at stake here when it comes to the fact that there's a day of reckoning that's coming with God. Notice with me the servant's debt. In verse 23, the Bible tells us 
that the king was making a, or taking account of his servants. You get to verse 24, and he begins to reckon. And there was one who was brought to him which owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. Now, the Bible tells us this servant owed 10,000 talents. Now, we might think, well, that doesn't really register. It doesn't really compute with me. I don't really feel the weight of this by just saying he owed 10,000 talents. So let me try to break this down and help you understand it just a little bit. From the best that I could uh, uncover through, through study is that one talent was equal to about 6,000 denarii. You say, well, that still doesn't really help me, Pastor. Put it this way, one, one denarius was probably equal to about a day's wage. So this man owed 10,000 talents. One talent is equal to 6,000 denarii. Only one denarius was equal to a day's wage. You following this so far? So his debt would have computed out to about 60 million denarii. Say, wow, okay, pastor, that's great. I still don't get it. But let's try to break it down into about today's equivalent. If you were to take, since one denarius was about a day's wage, if you were to conservatively say that a person makes $100 a day, and that's really conservative in our society, in our country. Let's say a person made $100 a day. His debt in today's equivalent, in today's terms, would be over $6 billion. Over $6 billion. B, capital B, billion dollars. That is what he owed this king. But now notice verse 25. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. The Bible tells us that this man's debt was unimaginable. The, 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 the Bible tells us that this man's debt was completely unpayable. How many of you, if you owed over $6 billion, could pay it off in your lifetime? Some of you make some pretty good money. Some of you have some really good jobs. But you know what? If you work uh, every single day, every minute of every day, it would take you over 200 lifetimes to pay off that kind of a, a debt. It's impossible to pay. The Bible tells us the servant couldn't pay. Not only that he didn't have enough resource, but he would never have enough resource to pay that debt. The servant stood, but yet the servant still stood accountable for the debt that he owed. And he would lose it all. He, his family, were to be sold into slavery. His home, his lands, his possessions would be sold to go towards his debt. He would be faced with a lifetime of bondage, a lifetime of, a, of despair as long as he lived. And he, listen, he could still work every single minute of every single day for 200 lifetimes, and he still wouldn't pay back that debt. I think it's important for us to try to explain that because it graphically illustrates for us 
that we have the same problem with God. A sin debt that we cannot possibly pay. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of God's law. We transgress and break God's law every single day. We've broken His holy law uh, from the moment we were born, and we continually do that every day. Sometimes it's unknowingly, but most of the time it's willfully. We lie, we cheat, we steal, we have unclean thoughts, we have all kinds of things, lust in our heart and greed and hatred and every other thing. We take the Lord's name in vain. We're like, well, pastor, I don't take the Lord's name in vain. Let me tell you, friend, just using the Lord's name as a curse word is not the only definition of taking the Lord's name in vain. And we do this regularly. We do it every single day. And listen, friend, we keep racking up a debt of sin against God. And there's a day of reckoning that's coming. Hebrews 2.2 says, Every transgression and disobedience receives a just recompense of reward. Friends, God's ledger is always right. And our debt of sin that we keep racking up is impossible to pay. And yet we are still accountable for it because there's a day of reckoning that's coming. Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what? We all owe the same amount. We all owe the same amount. Like, well, some people are worse than me. Listen, from the moment we were born, we came into this world condemned already. And the Bible tells us that even if you break one of God's laws, it's as if you've broken them all. We all have an impossible debt to pay. And Romans 6.23 says the wages of our sin is death. There's a song that I remember my grandpa singing from the time I was a kid. He was a missionary in Mexico. Spent a lot of time with him, and the song was just ingrained in my, in my mind because I heard him singing it all the time. And the words of the song are, He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sin away. We have a sin debt that we can never pay, and yet we're still accountable for it. And this we get to verse 26, and so we, we notice the servant's debt here that was impossible to pay. But then we get to the king's mercy in verse 26. The Bible says, The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Notice in verse 26 that the servant pleads for patience. He says, he worshiped him. He said, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Now, that's an interesting statement because Apparently, this man still didn't understand the impossibility of him paying back this debt. And he says, just have some patience with me. 
Just be a little more long-suffering with me, and and I'll pay it back. I promise I'll do it. I'll pay this debt. And you think about it, you say, this man's plea is actually kind of pathetic. Honestly, there would never be, ever be any hope of him paying this debt with any effort of his own. It was impossible to do. No, what he needed was something much greater than his own effort to pay off this debt. What he needed was for the king to have compassion on him and be merciful to him. What he needed was forgiveness of the debt, and yet he was trying still to work out paying back this debt. The Bible tells us in verse 27 that the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion. Why was he moved with compassion? Because he understood the immensity of that debt. He understood the fact that this man could never pay. Maybe the Lord of that servant looked at his wife and looked at his children and looked at their, 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 their uh, uh, plot in life and, and, he, and he was moved with compassion on the fact that there's no possible way that they will ever survive because of this immense debt. The Bible says he was moved with compassion. That word compassion has the meaning or gives the essence of being inwardly pained at the suffering of another. And I want you to note that the king went way beyond what was asked of him out of the goodness of his own heart. What was asked of him? That there would be patience, that there would be long-suffering. The king went way beyond that, out of the goodness of his heart, and he extended mercy to him. Instead of exacting what he deserved, the king forgave the debt. The king absorbed the trespass committed against him himself. It still needed to be paid. The king absorbed that himself. And let me say to you this morning, this is exactly what God has done for you and for me. He saw the pain and the anguish our sin would bring to us in eternity. He's had compassion on us as sinful people, and he's made a way for our sin to be forgiven through Jesus Christ. And how did he do that? Well, he took the debt and the payment of it upon himself. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes we are healed. Bye. Bye. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. 1 Peter 3.18 tells us that Christ hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, The just, who knew no sin, for the unjust, that's me, who's full of sin, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. 
Listen, friend, as Jesus Christ was hanging on that cross, shedding his blood, the Bible tells us that it pleased the Father to bruise him. In Isaiah 53 and verse 11, the Bible says, And God would see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Listen, the sin debt that we owe has got to be paid. God's ledger is always right. We keep racking up a debt of sin against God that we're accountable for. And there's no possible way that we could ever pay it back through any effort of our own. But through Jesus Christ, the debt can be forgiven. But it still had to be paid for. And God laid on him the iniquity of us all. And it pleased God to bruise him because the wages of our sin is death. And the Bible tells us that God would see the travail of his soul and his righteous demands would be satisfied. This brings joy to my soul, friend, because there's no possible way that I could ever be free from my debt. I needed someone to pay my debt for me. And Jesus Christ took upon himself the payment for my sin. And I would simply say to you this morning, amazing, amazing love. How can it be that God should die for me? But friend, how is this forgiveness received? How can we know the forgiveness of sins and our sin debt that we could never pay? How can how can we know that? Well, it's only by the mercy of God, certainly. But how is it received? How is it applied to us? The forgiveness of that sin debt has got to be asked for. But it's got to be asked for from a repentant heart. The forgiveness that is granted of God and the removal of the debt doesn't come without repentance. Forgiveness cannot be granted without for repentance. Listen, a lot of people say, oh, God, I want you to forgive me. Oh, I want to be saved, God, but I don't agree with you about my sin. God can't grant forgiveness. The sin debt can't be paid. It's been paid for in Christ, but God cannot grant the forgiveness unless our heart is repentant toward God. Acts 20, 21 says uh, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what does repentance mean? What does repentance toward God mean? It essentially means that I understand my guilt and my sin and I don't want it. I don't want to be me. I agree with God about what he says concerning me and I need I need him to wash it away. We can't say, well, you know, I know that I've done some bad things and I know that there's some times in my life when when you know when I haven't been the greatest but I but it's not bad compared to so and so over there that's not agreeing with God about our sin repentance says I'm changing my mind about my life. I'm changing my mind about my sin. I'm changing my mind about my will. And I'm agreeing with you, God, about myself and my offense toward you. That I've offended you as a holy and a righteous God. And I stand deserving of judgment. I understand what I am and what I deserve. But Lord, would you have mercy on me? Would you forgive me? 
because I don't want to be there. And I don't want the wrath that I know I deserve. See, friend, man's greatest need is to receive forgiveness from God. That's our greatest need. And Jesus was illustrating the fact here that that's what our greatest need is. We have a debt that we can never pay. And God, in his gracious mercy, has reached down and forgiven us a debt that we could never, ever, ever possibly pay back. My greatest need is to receive forgiveness from God. But I want you to notice how Jesus goes on here because then he gets into man's second greatest need. And man's second greatest need is to extend forgiveness. Notice verse 28. But the same servant, the same one who owed so much, who could never pay it, the Bible says he went out and found one of his fellow servants. Now, understand the dynamic here. The debt that he owed was upward. The king was greater than him, right? But then he goes and he finds one of his fellow servants who is equal to him. You follow that? Okay. So he's been forgiven from one who is much greater of a huge debt that he could never repay. But he goes out and finds one of his fellow servants who is equal to him. Make sense? When the Bible says he found a fellow servant which owed him an hundred pence and laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. We've heard those words before, haven't we? He said those very words to the one who was greater than him. He said, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Verse 30, and he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told him to their Lord all that was done. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, again, under this second greatest need to extend forgiveness, I want you to notice the servant's ingratitude. Verse 28 tells us that the very same servant who was just forgiven this huge debt went out and found one who owed him something. And the Bible says he laid hands on him. He took him by the throat. And his attitude was, pay me that thou owest. So we find that this servant wants an accounting to be reckoned as well. He wants an accounting of the debts that are owed to him. And he goes and he finds this one who owes him, the Bible says, 100 pence. Now understand this. This amount was so minuscule. A hundred pence in our terminology in our day would be roughly about $15. That's what this fellow servant owed him. $15. And then after being forgiven so much, if we were to put a monetary value on it, over $6 billion, after being forgiven so much, this man goes and holds another person to a higher standard than the king held him to. The Bible tells us in verse 29 that he was unwilling to show mercy and to extend 
forgiveness. His fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not. This poor servant who owed him $15 responded the same way as the unmerciful servant did. He pled for patience. He was willing to repay the debt. He was willing to make it right. If only he had the opportunity to do it. And $15, he could pay that back. Just give me some time. If only he had the opportunity to do it. But unlike the other guy's debt, this debt was something that could be settled. He just needed a little time, a little compassion, and a little cooperation. Unlike the mercy that was shown by the king, this servant showed no mercy. The Bible says he took him by the throat and demanded, pay me back this offense, this what you owe me. He had been forgiven of so much, but he was unwilling to forgive just a little. And the Bible tells us that he cast the man into prison until the debt was paid. He wanted to see this man punished for his failure to meet that obligation. You know what, friends? It's really easy to condemn the actions of other people. We can find offenses all the time. In fact, Brother Ledgett, you offended me yesterday. And no, <laughs> but you know what? That's the truth. All the interactions between people on a daily basis, it's really easy to find offenses. And we could condemn people for their actions on a regular basis. But when we, listen, when we, the reason people do that is because they're not thinking about the debt that they've been forgiven from the Lord. The reason people get offended and they hold on to offenses. And the reason people look for offenses in other people, the reason they do that is because they're not considering themselves. They're not considering their own situation. They're not considering the fact that they're offensive. And they're not considering that the fact that my offense to God is far greater than any, anything anybody could ever do to me. We fail to see our offenses toward God as far greater than any offense we've received from others. Listen, we all deserve. What, what, what do we deserve today? We all deserve to be in the flames of hell today. But Jesus forgave our sin debt. We fail to realize exactly what the Lord has done for us. Listen, we show ingratitude toward God for His mercy and his forgiveness to us when we operate with an unforgiving spirit towards other people. We are showing our ingratitude toward God for what he's done for us. Listen, God calls on his people to forgive. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, Forgiving one another. Why? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Colossians 3.12 says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, 
meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. God calls on His people to forgive. And when we operate from an unforgiving spirit and an unforgiving heart, we are showing our ingratitude toward God for what He's done for us. The impossible debt that we could never pay if we truly But again, forgiveness cannot come without repentance. There's got to be repentance in order for forgiveness to take place. We don't receive God's forgiveness without repentance. And when we're dealing with other people, there also has to be that repentant heart. But when one holds it in his heart and he says, well, that's, that's just not enough. You still owe me this debt. I haven't seen you punished enough. And he throws him in prison until the debt's paid. That's an unforgiving spirit that is not in cooperation with God. And so we get down to the end of this passage and we get down to verse 33 and we find the rebuke. And I'll conclude here with these last few verses. We find the rebuke. Verse 32 says, Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredst me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? The king fully expected the servant to show the same compassion and mercy that he had received. Should you not have offered the same mercy and the same pity that I offered to you? And here's the truth in the application. God expects us to offer the same forgiveness that he has given us. And who among us has been as wronged as God has been wronged? Who among us has given their their son for the sins of others? Who among us has forgiven as God has forgiven? And friend, here's the bottom line. We cannot please God if we are unwilling to forgive others. You cannot have a right relationship with God if you have an unforgiving spirit in your heart. You'll never live a victorious life in the Lord. In fact, you're going to live in a prison of your own making. There's nothing like the prison of bitterness. Listen, maybe you need to forgive somebody else today. Maybe you're harboring some resentment in your heart for some offense some time ago. The Word of God encourages us, challenges us, and yea, commands us Get it settled and move on for the glory of God. But then you get to verse 34 and we find the restitution. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Because of his unwillingness to forgive a small matter, The Bible tells us, and Jesus is giving this story to illustrate his truth, that the servant was cast into prison until all of his debt was paid. There would be no more mercy. 
there would be no more pardon for him. Every single penny of that debt was to be paid in full. He would live a life of bondage because he was unwilling to forgive. But you know what? You and I can live in bondage as well. We can live in bondage to bitterness. We can live in bondage to anger because of an unforgiving heart. God may remove his hand of blessing from your life. He might let you live out in your anger. He might let you just go follow through with the natural consequences of that unforgiving spirit. He might let you spend the rest of your days a miserable person because you're unwilling to forgive. I think if we spent the time thinking about it, we probably all could recall and bring to mind people who are out of God's will today, even out of church today, simply because they couldn't make things right with somebody else. Because of an unforgiving spirit. God forgave a mountain of debt to you and to me. He fully expects us to offer forgiveness as well to our brethren. Man's two greatest needs. One, to receive forgiveness from God. Number two, to extend forgiveness to others. And the bottom line is, we will never, ever be right with God (laughs) if we cannot have a right relationship with our fellow man. Maybe you need to come and ask the Lord to forgive you for an unforgiving spirit. I don't know. Maybe you need to go to somebody and ask for forgiveness. I don't know. But whatever it is, I would encourage you to do as the Lord leads. Maybe you're here this morning and you realize that you owe a debt of sin to God that you could never pay. If the Lord has spoken to you in regards to salvation, whatever the need is, you need to respond to the Lord today. Go ahead and have a word in your Heavenly Father, would you take these truths and principles today and apply them where they are needed in every heart. And Lord, I cannot see a person's heart. I don't know what their needs are. But I know that the word of God is always relevant. Today is a day of divine appointments. Lord, you've brought people here to this place today to hear this message from this book. Lord, I'm asking that you would accomplish your will through it, but I'm also asking and encouraging people have a soft heart to the Lord. Respond to the Lord as you speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together, please.